everybody and welcome to a new episode of Evie's Korean Drama Podcast Show. My name is Evie, I'm your host, and I am a K-drama obsessive. So this is the show where I waffle on about all of the K-drama that I love. If you'd like to support the show, you can check out my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Evie Korean Drama Podcast. There you will find extra podcast episodes and updates on what I'm watching at the moment. Also, just before I get started, please be warned that I do swear a little bit on this show when I get excited. And when I'm talking about K-drama, I always get excited. Alright, so I thank you very, very much for listening and let's get on with the K-drama show. everybody and welcome to episode 18 of the Lee Evie Korean Drama Podcast Show. I'm very excited to be here this week as always. Um, today I've decided to do a bit of a deep dive into one drama um, rather than cover a few. Uh, in the future I think I'll probably pop back around to doing quite a few dramas um, per podcast but today there was one that I just felt like talking about um, and also it's kind of exciting for me to get back into the historical saguk dramas. Um, I feel like I've been talking about a lot of modern ones recently. Um, I always I, I really really love historical Korean dramas but and I feel like I watch so many of them but when it kind of came time to putting my thoughts together for the podcast I kind of realized maybe I haven't watched as many as I thought or a lot of the ones that I have watched I watched quite a while ago and it kind of takes me a while to get my thoughts together about those or you know remember what the fuck happened at all <laughs> so it's kind of cool to be talking about a historical one again but you know at the moment as I record this in 2019 in October there are so many cool historical dramas airing at the moment and I'm kind of like it's killing me just waiting every week for these shows to come out because I'm dying to talk about them Okay, so today I have chosen to talk about the historical Korean drama which is set during the Joseon period, which is called Maids. Um, and apparently sometimes it's also called More Than a Maid, which I don't remember ever seeing that around. There you go. So this one actually came out in 2014, which kind of surprises me a lot. I can't believe it's been that long since it came out. I don't think I watched it while it was airing, but I did watch it fairly recently afterwards, I think. So it has been a little bit of a long while, I guess, since I've watched it. Um, but I did have quite a, you know, it left quite a strong impression on me um, and I really enjoyed it. You know, I, this is one of the shows that I did watch all the way to the end. I know when I first started watching K-dramas, you know, I would always, like stick to the shows I would finish them no matter how much I wasn't into it I was like nah I'm gonna watch this till the end but as I've you know been watching for quite a few years I just don't have the patience to stick to things that I'm not kind of feeling passionate about or really enjoying or just getting something out of you know like we all live busy stressful lives and for me k-drama is an absolute joy it is a way for me to de-stress and so you know if k-dramas are causing me stress then there's a problem so if they are I stop watching them 
Um, but this is definitely a drama that I did watch through to the very end. I, I felt like it was really solid storytelling. It was quite interesting because it does sort of deal with, I think, a different perspective than a lot of the um, historical, you know, saguks kind of deal with. Um, I think, you know, saguks are very... Um, Often, you know, they, they're about kings and crown princes and really, really rich, you know, flower boy nobles and stuff like that. And like, I fucking love that stuff. I'm not dissing that by any means. But it is very interesting to watch a show that does more heavily revolve around, you know, the maids who are stuck in the kitchen and like chopping vegetables. And I guess that doesn't sound that interesting. But believe me, it is. It's a, it's a great drama. Um, and I think it's really good. So I guess this one stars Jung Yu Mi. Um, I am, I, I've always been under the impression that she's the actress from Train to Busan, that, you know, insanely famous Korean zombie movie. Um, I don't know if her little bio here just hasn't been updated or what, but I'm pretty sure it's the same Jung Yu Mi, um, unless I'm mistaken. I really, really liked her in this. Um, I, yeah, I think she's really, really good. Uh, she plays a character called Inyob. So I guess what I want to say about this drama that I find quite interesting is it almost feels like two dramas squished together, which is kind of strange. Um, I feel like there's one side of the drama, which is Inyob's story. Um, and she plays this at the beginning of the, the show. She plays this young noble woman who is very much in love with this, you know, really nice sort of upper class dude. And they're kind of organizing to get married and everything in her life is quite wonderful. And She's very likable, like you like her when she's sort of talking to a dad and she's talking to a boyfriend and that kind of stuff. But you also see a side of her that is very petty and petulant and, um, you know, she doesn't come off in the best light. And through these circumstances where she refuses to kind of bow down to someone and feel humiliated, she ends up really fucking over a bunch of servants in a really cruel way um, just because she doesn't want her her pride hurt I suppose and I thought it was an interesting way to sort of introduce the character at the the beginning section of the drama that we did like her you know as a young noblewoman I think she's likable and she's you know got her priorities in her family and she loves the people around her but she does have this this pride, this burning, fierce pride in her that she will trample on other people rather than, you know, let her pride be heard, which is, you know, that's not a great quality, I've got to say. So her side of the whole drama, it very much, you know, with her as the protagonist, deals with her fall from grace as a noblewoman down to a slave, which is something that I find really, really interesting. Um, I think it's it's such an, I guess, an interesting start point for a story, um, which is why, you know, many years ago I watched Goo Family book um, and there's a character in that uh, who, again, starts the drama as a young noblewoman and becomes a slave. In that drama, Goo Family book, she actually becomes a, um, a Giseng, which again, very interesting. And in this drama, um, Inyob almost becomes a Giseng, but in the end, she gets, you know, bought as a, as a servant and taken to her ex-best friend's house. And you kind of think maybe the ex-best friend is trying to do her a favor, but by this point, they're poisonous enemies. And the only reason her ex-best friend has sort of brought her into the house is to literally treat her like a piece of shit as a kitchen maid. But to be honest, you know, I think all nobles, you know, on most cases kind of treated 
they're slaves like that, you know? I mean, this is how a caste system like what existed in Joseon can work. And it, it can only work if there is no empathy among the noble classes and the upper classes for the slaves. And it's really horrifying, but I guess there is this, this real idea that people who are slaves are not as good as you know, noble class. So I think the slave class um, is that Chonmin, and then we're talking about Yangban, which is the noble class. So Inyob used to be Yangban, and she is cast down to the Chonmin class. Um, so I find that really, really compelling, I guess, as a, particularly as a character journey. Um, particularly, I think, because Inyob does start this drama, although she's our protagonist, and I do feel a lot of like for her. She, you know, she has a lot to learn. She has a lot to lose. But once she's really at rock bottom is when she starts to pick herself up and begin to see the world for what it truly is, which is servants and slaves are people too. And they have feelings too. And she can no longer look down on these people. Um, so I found that to be a really, really interesting character journey. So that's basically her whole side of the drama where she's the protagonist. And for the first half of the drama, it's very squarely focused on her and her journey and what she's up to. And then there's this dude who's sort of like this servant guy who's played by the actor Oh Ji-ho uh, called Moo Myung which I can't remember, but I feel like maybe that means like no name. It's some sort of derogatory sort of, you know, slave name that he has. And he, according to the bio that I've got in front of me, is the most attractive servant in Hanyang, which is a pretty funny description. <laughs> you know, in, in K-dramas, it's always like, you know, the most genius man or, you know, the most richest man or whatever. And now we've got the most attractive servant ever in Hanyang, which I think is quite funny. Also, mm, I wouldn't say that he was personally, but that's fine. That was just me. So Moo Myung is this kind of, Moo Myung is this uh, big, tall, silent, mysterious dude and he just does everything his masters ask him to and he wanders around and kind of just watches as Inyob flails about and can't do anything and is basically in misery and getting tortured and it, it's this drama, even though it does have some lightness, like there's even a point where I'm pretty sure Inyob like falls on top of Moomyong and they have like an accidental kiss. So, you know, it's very K-drama-ish. There's all those moments, but it is very, very dark. Um, you know, the reason Inyob ends up as a slave is because her dad, um, he becomes a traitor, you know. So there's a lot of death. There's a lot of execution. There's a lot of misery and torture and all that kind of stuff that I'm sure we have all come to know and love from our Sagoks. So Moo Myung, as this mysterious servant, he kind of takes over the drama as a protagonist for the second half, which I think it's a really fascinating way to tell one storyline, you know, like, I guess from a writing point of view, when I think of, you know, one story that has a protagonist, it's a very, very interesting idea that the protagonist from the start can kind of give way to a character that's very much so a side character at the beginning who almost becomes the main protagonist for the second half. And that's not saying Inyob didn't have a lot to do and a lot of um, kind of gravity and weight in the second half. She does. She's still a main protagonist. But Moomyong does kind of take over. And I think 
as a, a sort of like mechanism maybe to tell a long form story. I find that very, very interesting. I wouldn't even mind, you know, like if you're writing, uh, you know, like a trilogy or sequels or something, it's, it's a really interesting way to do it like that passing on the baton thing, even though it's, it is one story, you know, not two standalone stories by any means. It's one full narrative. So even though that might be a little bit unusual, um, this kind of two different stories as one, I think I really, really liked it. Um, I think it was kind of clever as a way to um, make sure that the pacing, I think, is kept really, um, you know, really f- it pushes forward, it drives forward in terms of the plot. Um, you never feel like things are slowing down or getting bogged down or like it's not spinning its wheels. And I know this is always kind of a problem with the K-dramas and it's why, you know, I've watched three quarters of so many dramas because you know, quite often in a story that's this long, maybe you get to a certain point and I think the writers really run out of conflict to keep the story from reaching its natural conclusion. So that's when they start adding silly kind of bits of conflict, which is usually, you know, like miscommunications or noble sacrifice or all these kind of tropes that we know so well. And I think this drama really sidestepped having to have included in it like kind of dumb tropes just to stop the story from reaching its natural conclusion um, because Moomyung takes over and for the first half of the drama he's such a mysterious character and you know as a viewer you just want to know more you want to know what his deal is he's basically a servant a slave who does all these terrible terrible things because his horrible noble masters ask him to but also he's got a lot of other things going on and it turns out that he's actually part of you know a whole conspiracy and a whole group of people who are trying to overturn the nation and it's all very very fascinating but the drama starts with such a small, you know, almost domestic story. And I, I don't want to call it like domestic, like that's a bad thing because it's not. Um, but it is Inyob's awakening to the world as it truly is. And it is on a small scale because she's stuck in this house and she's relearning the man- minutiae of her, her new life and the cruelty of of that nobles are capable towards the Chonmin, you know, slave class. Um, so I really loved that stuff, but I also loved the way the drama was able to expand out into this very big conspiracy that did involve kings and assassins and, you know, rebels and rebellions and still keep in your feeling necessary to the story, but really drive that story forward to the conclusion. So in terms of the, like everything I've just said, like it's a great story to watch. I think it's really, really solid. Um, and that's why, you know, I easily watched this one through to the end. And I remember feeling very, very satisfied by all the kind of story beats. It's a very exciting kind of drama. So I think the thing that really aside from everything I've already said, that does make this drama feel quite fresh and a little bit special and unique for me is the focus on slaves as the main characters and the idea that the slaves, you know, these main main character slaves are not, um, you know, they're not badass warriors or slaves on the run or, you know, anything cool like assassins or something. These are really, you know, it's domestic slaves, slaves who just have to work and do horrible shitty things every single day and never get to live for themselves and I think it's a very interesting focus for you know a big epic historical drama and just something that you don't see very often so I really really appreciated that 
um, it always brings to mind for me, like when I think of, I guess, this kind of those domestic slaves that we do see them in historical drama all the time, but they are always side characters. Um, so one of the main things that always comes to my mind is there is a scene in Joseon Gunman, and I know that's set in a completely different, you know, period of, you know, the Joseon history. Um, but in Joseon Gunman, the the main character, Suin, uh, the you know the female lead in that drama, Suin, she is a young noble woman, and she's very progressive. You know, she's very much um, a modern woman of, for her time who believes in having more rights as a woman, and you know, being allowed more freedom than you know maybe a lot of other families would think their daughters should have. Um, but in the drama, as all young noble women would do, she has a personal maid, and this maid obviously loves her, and she loves this maid. They've obviously grown up together. But at the same time, no matter the affection between them, there is such a difference in their status that is evident, not in the way that Suin treats her maid, but for instance, um, I just remember this one scene where Suin goes to this temple to pray. And she's kneeling in front of, uh, you know, whatever, the altar and praying. And she, you know, she gets to kneel on this beautiful silk flat cushion thing to protect her knees from the hardwood floor. And Next to her, but back a bit because of her status, is Suin's personal maid. And she doesn't get a cushion and her clothes aren't very nice and she just gets to do the same thing, but she's kneeling on the floor, you know, the hardwood floor. And it was always such a, I don't know, it really struck me that scene because that drama was certainly not about, you know, Suin wanting to free her slave or pointing out the differences between that kind of stuff. It wasn't about that at all but it was just so noticeable to me that a character like Suin who is so progressive and yet it's so ingrained in this noble young bun class to to treat their slaves in a certain way that slaves are of a lesser value and a lesser status and I don't mean to be dissing <laughs> Suin in Joseon Gunman because I I fucking love that character she was amazing in that show um but it is an interesting thing. And then to come to a drama like this where those slaves, you know, the people who are cooking up dinner in the kitchen and running around and scrubbing shit or like lighting the fires or whatever, like they're the main characters and the drama revolves around their heartache and misery and day-to-day -day lives. And I found that really fascinating and I just I guess I really, really liked that about this drama, but it's something that I think really drew me to the drama initially too, because I was interested in it. I, I love the idea of seeing a side of Joseon life that maybe doesn't get portrayed all that often in K-drama. And that's, I mean, realistically, that was the reason that I picked up this show, because it doesn't really have any actors or actresses that I follow around. Um, I haven't really, I hadn't seen Jung Yumi, um, who plays the protagonist in Yob. Um, I hadn't seen her in anything before, but I really, really like her performance in this. Um, you know, she's very fragile yet strong. I feel like I say that a lot about my historical heroines, but it is something I guess I really appreciated in her performance and I liked. Um, the actor Oji Ho, who plays the, the main male protagonist, who more and more as the drama progresses becomes the protagonist, um, Moo Myung. 
I don't know. I haven't seen this dude in anything before, OG Ho. I think he's like he's in a load of stuff, so I don't know why I haven't come across him. But he is literally like a walking plank of wood. Like he doesn't move his face. He just slowly kind of ambles around and is just really big. Like he has a really big presence, but it's just because he's a really kind of big imposing kind of dude and I mean acting wise I don't know he didn't move much his face doesn't move I don't know if he's a good actor or not but it fucking suits this role so I don't have any push to kind of watch him in other stuff and I also have my doubts about whether he can act or not maybe he can maybe he can't that's a mystery for a different time but I think he his approach to this role really, really suits the character. You know, the character is meant to be really mysterious and, you know, he doesn't show his emotions on his face. You know, he's this really kind of hard dude. And it, it really suited the character that potentially Oji Ho is not a good actor. I don't know. <laughs> but it really works for this. Um, I guess another character that I'm going to mention is played by an actor called Kim Dong-wook. Uh, I've seen this actor in some stuff. Again, I'm not like massively keen. I can, you know, I could take him or leave him, whatever. Um, so he plays a character called Ungi. And Ungi is Inyob, the protagonist's uh, kind of I guess he's her love at the beginning of the drama and they're both of the same status and they kind of move some issues and manage to get into a position where they are allowed to get married and then at the wedding she's literally dragged away so they're so close to being married and it doesn't happen and they're obviously a very genuine couple they're very much in love and they care about each other and you can see a strong bond of friendship as well and that's why it's quite interesting that once Inyob gets cast down you know it really I guess the love triangle in this show is quite interesting because Inyob truly does love Ungi at the beginning of this drama but once she loses her status as a noble woman and kind of has no right I guess to love him anymore they can never be together um it's just impossible and then to make you know matters worse and more miserable in a move to kind of protect Inyob from her evil poisonous ex-best friend um Ungi agrees to marry said evil poisonous best friend which is um you know pretty shitty uh and so he's living in the same house and you know she has to kind of wait on him and she's heartbroken obviously but I think there's a point where she has to accept her reality and she can't have him looking at her in a certain way and treating her like they have a future like she needs to cut that off and she does and he does not handle it well like at all but I really liked it. I, I, you know, it's a very tragic kind of character development and, you know, I guess romance between both of them that is, it's very sad and you feel a lot of emotion for both of them. And as they both make, you know, mistakes or choices in, in the way that it unfolds, you also can't fault either of them, even though it kind of puts them both at odds to each other and creates this huge, like just terrible situation. But you can completely understand each of their actions in the face of, you know, this thing that they just couldn't have even imagined would happen to them. But then, of course, because Inyob is a slave now, 
She's operating on such a different level and in such different circles to Ungi, who is still, you know, a young married nobleman at this point. And so Inya, little by little, begins to rely on Mu Myung's, you know, plank of wood presence. And he's always there being a plank of wood in the background and helping her out and just being not that nice, but maybe a little bit nice. And it's quite nice I guess to nice isn't the right word it's quite touching to watch their slow interest and reliance on each other unfurl and develop into this kind of very tentative friendship I guess so by the time I think that their whole romance in this show it's not like a big epic sweeping thing it's not a big kind of screaming and crying thing it's very very quiet and small and tentative um, and subtle and quite nuanced maybe that's because you know Moo Myung doesn't move his face so it just comes across real nuanced because you can't really tell what emotions he's feeling I don't know um, but it works it's it's really touching and moving and by the time you're three quarters of the way the drama and you don't really know like is he really serious is he not whatever and eventually you know he kind of says whatever he says and he kisses her in this really really beautiful kiss scene actually like it's really well done I found it very moving and his little speech he's having like his only emotional meltdown in like the whole drama where he moves his face and there's some like tears glinting in his eyes it's very moving and it's very well done and I loved how slow burn it is. You know, at the beginning of the show, Inyob is completely in love with somebody else, with Ungi. And that is where her heart lies. And through accepting, you know, her fate, which is she can never go back. She can never be who she used to be. But on top of that, her new circumstances mean that she learns about the world around her and that of course changes her as a person and I think the reason that she's so drawn to Moo Myung is one because she can rely on him all the time he's there to help her but also because she's a different person to who she used to be and I think in the end you know he can understand her better than Ungi ever can um, now that she is a slave which is very very sad but a really wonderful slow burn development um, for her character and for this very slow tentative romance that she kind of experiences with the hunk of wood Moo Myung. So in terms of the historical content um, for this drama, Maids, you know, I didn't, this is one of the first dramas I watched that is set at the very beginning of Joseon and I had no idea. But while I was watching it, I just noticed that all the dudes, um, you know how in Joseon dramas, all the men wear the black gats, which is the horse hair, you know, wide brimmed um, black hats. Uh, so in this drama, all the guys were wearing these slightly different, um, so almost painted black woven straw hats that have a very different shape to the kind of the more I guess the gats that we see maybe more often in Joseon set dramas and I was just very interested another thing um, that really struck me that was slightly different in the things people were wearing was the women so all the married women um, had huge rolls of hair like Giseng um, which obviously we know from later Joseon set dramas um, that that's not how women wore their hair during Joseon times. But I did find out that um, 
So this is because this drama is set at the very, very dawning beginning of the Joseon dynasty. And one of the things that the Joseon dynasty did, um, their new prime minister actually introduced Confucianism to Korea. Whilst before that, during the Goryeo dynasty, I believe it was more like, um, like Buddhism and maybe other religions, multiple religions. But one of the main things about Confucianism, as well as, you know, a major kind of structural focus on the patriarchy, I suppose, um, is this idea of not, um, I guess, being so frivolous. So this is why the Joseon uh, palaces and stuff are quite stark, you know, very, very beautiful, but they're not dripping in opulent you know, gold jewels in every corner and the things people wear aren't so opulent either. So this is why in this drama set at the beginning of the Joseon dynasty, while say Confucianism is still really um, becoming embedded in, you know, the way the state runs and everything, the women still have these, you know, very huge, um, you know, amazing hairstyles. But later on, things get streamlined. That's considered to be very vain. And that's why apparently it actually got outlawed by the king that, you know, women weren't allowed to wear that anymore unless they were actually gisang. Um, in which case they still did. So, I mean, I found that completely fascinating. But uh, so this this drama features, um, so Taejong, just let me look this up to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm saying this right because I keep forgetting. So King Taejong and then King Taejo. So King Taejo is Taejong's father, but King Taejo is, <laughs> I hope I'm getting this right, um, the first king of Joseph. Is that right? Yes. And he is Yi Sung-ge. So Yi Sung-ge is a major character in Six Flying Dragons and also the currently airing K-drama My Country. And he is the man, uh, he was a general of Goyo who basically, you know, he created the Joseon dynasty. He began it. And then one of his sons, Yi Bang-won, is Taejong. I hope that's right. <laughs> Uh, is that right? Uh, yeah, I, th I think that's right. So Taejong um, becomes the, I think it says here, the third king of Joseon. But in, in this drama, there's just these two kings. Um, and then King, oh, fuck, I'm getting really confused. All these, uh... so Taejong, who is Yi Bang-won, his son is Sejong the Great. And Sejong the Great, is of course the man who created Hangul, which is a absolutely bonkers achievement. Like, um, if you've seen the Korean drama Tree with Deep Roots, like it is astounding um, that a man of such a you know a high rank, you know he was the king of the whole country, and he created something that basically was set to start disintegrating the the class system, you know, like he wanted to educate peasants. Like the whole fact that slaves remain slaves is because they can't be as educated, you know, and creating Hangul, which was a much easier script, um, which the lower class people could then learn easily because obviously all the nobles, um, they all use the Hanja, the, yeah, the classical like Hanja characters, which is the Chinese script. Um, so even though they're speaking Korean, they use um, the Chinese script for it. But that's, it's so fucking hard to learn that unless you can go off and be a scholar and spend all your time learning, you're not going to be able to learn to read and write. And obviously, 
obviously all the slaves don't have time to, you know, study. So the fact that Sejong the Great or King Sejong or whatever decided to do this, it kind of like just blows my mind. Um, but of course, I feel like that's almost a whole different story <laughs> with, um, you know, tree with, tree with Deep Roots, which is a really, really exciting, excellent drama as well. So just to discuss very briefly the ending of this show, um, it has something which, you know, most K-dramas have, which is the inevitable separation of the, you know, two romantic leads. Um, I just can't even express how many Korean dramas have gotten to, you know, that last episode and then suddenly, you know, they have the skip forward where one character has to, I don't know, go to Europe and make coffee for a year or go overseas and study video games or, you know, just go to a different town and they always have these separations that are so strange like you know particularly the modern ones where you, you kind of see them meeting again and it's like they haven't even fucking texted each other like you know we do live with the internet now like you could probably skype or something um I, it drives me completely bonkers because i hate the idea that you know you find the person that you love and then you need to go off and find yourself before you can you know be with them and i get that it's very important like in real life to understand yourself and be in a healthy position to have a relationship but I also feel that finding someone to love who loves you is really hard to do you know like once you get that opportunity you just grasp it with both hands and you don't go off and like learn how to make coffee in a different country for a whole year without like calling your love and having a little chat every now and then like it's fucking weird but all the dramas do it and this drama is no exception but uh, it's done really well in this. <laughs> so that was a huge rant leading up to, oh, this one's actually quite a satisfying um, separation. The reason being, of course, that Inyob at the beginning of the drama, like I mentioned, is in love with Ungi. And all sorts of shit goes down in this drama and Ungi becomes almost an antagonist and then, you know, not and then sort of is and he's bad and he's good and he's quite an interesting character actually. But what happens at the end is that he fucking dies. And so no matter how Inyob feels about Moomyong, someone that she was in love with for many years is dead. And it is a huge blow. Like it is big. Also, she's raised back up to be a noble woman. Um, you know, she's not a slave anymore. She is free. And I, I really felt like her taking a year to just walk off around Joseon or like wander around in the hills, in the mountains, whatever it is that she did for that whole year by herself as a woman in Joseon sounds very dangerous to me. But anyway, I feel like character wise, it made a lot of sense that she actually did need that time to reassess, but mainly to grieve. Um, I felt like she needed a year of reflection. Her father's dead, you know, this this boy that she grew up with that she loved is dead and also you know the whole thing was under terrible circumstances and I don't think she was in a position yet to be able to fully give herself over to Moomyong and just love you know for them to love each other and her to be happy and you know I think Moomyong with his you know no facial expressions he seems like the kind of dude who would live a really nice kind of simple life with her and just be happy with small simple things and I think that after a year of grieving Inyob will finally 
be ready for that. So it did make a lot of sense to me that there was this sort of enforced, enforced from, you know, her point of view, she enforced it, separation between them. And then, you know, an actual happy ending, which wasn't something that while watching this drama, you particularly feel like you're going to get a happy ending by any means. So I did actually really appreciate it. And it feels like a happy ending that certainly wasn't sugar sweet or anything like that. It felt very hard earned. Um, There's a lot of misery in this show. The characters go through a lot of hell. Um, So I actually found the ending really satisfying and I liked the separation, even though normally, you know, I'll rant about it for a really long time. So I guess that's kind of it for me, um, for this drama, really. I really enjoyed it. I definitely encourage you, if you like your Sargorks, um, maybe a little bit more on the serious side. You know, there's certainly a little bit of um, silliness in this, but not a lot. It's, it's definitely more serious and heartbreaking. It's very interesting. Um, Plot-wise and story-wise, it's very, very solid and I felt like it was satisfying. Um, and I enjoyed all the characters. They're all, you know, going very deep and dark character journeys except for, you know, Moo Myung who just does his thing with his face, which just is, you know, not a lot. Uh, yes, so that's it. That's it from me. So now it's time for my random thing of the week. And keeping with the, you know, very historical (laughs) kind of topics that we've been talking about on this week's episode, um, I thought I might look up a little bit of Joseon poetry. So a really famous Joseon poet is Kim Sakat, and I am positive I am mispronouncing his name as I always do. So apparently he is, you know, he's a super famous poet um, of the Joseon dynasty and his grandpa, you know, I think was kind of someone of note, but you got cast down and executed. And in those days, you know, if, if someone in your family was marked for execution, it generally meant your whole family would basically get exterminated. But apparently Kim Sakat, however you pronounce his name, was sort of spirited away in the night. And so he survived. But as a very intelligent young man, there wasn't a lot he could do because of his very lowly status. So apparently he just sort of wandered about the country um, in a state of bitterness at, you know, the fact that he couldn't maybe be all of what he could have been. So that's quite an interesting little backstory for the poet. Um, I'm going to read out one of his poems here. Well, I'm going to do my best. Um, But I think... You know, this is a poem that's been translated to English from Korean. And it definitely says, uh, like, you know, in, in the kind of historical note around it, it's written in Korean, particularly because I think of the kind of word plays that the Korean language is able to bring. And I know that um, a lot of times when I'm watching dramas, I can tell that there's a lot of very clever sort of wordplay and, you know, humor coming across in the language that people are using and these kind of like wordplay jokes that are being made that, of course, when it get, gets translated to English, um, it's just not something that's translatable. So I think this poem has many layers to it. It's called the bamboo poem and those layers are just not going to be able to be translated, unfortunately. Things come, things go. What will be, will be. 
Winds blow, waves break, what will be, will be. Rice is rice, gruel is gruel, take what you get, what will be, will be. Right is right, wrong is wrong, accept it, what will be, will be. Hospitality for a guest, let the pocket decide what will be. Trading in the market, let the times decide what will be. The affairs of the world are not under my control. What will be, will be. So, 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 that's the world. Go with the flow. What will be, will be. I think it's quite interesting and beautiful in its own way. Um, and of course, you know, I think there's a lot going on. I think in Korean, bamboo, um, it says that bamboo is te. Um, but it's been in, interpreted by the poet in a different way so that each time in English I'm saying will be, will be is actually a wordplay on the fact that it's the bamboo poem. So it's not something that I can kind of get the um, you know, minutiae of it, but it's still beautiful, I think. Um, so yeah, I just thought I might share that since we've been talking a lot about history and Joseon times today. Now it's time for something that I have been loving this week. So I'm actually going to talk about a movie that I just watched recently, which I just thoroughly enjoyed. Look, it's not like art or, you know, anything high class. Uh, this is a rom-com. It's a Filipino rom-com. Um, it's just super, super cute. I really, really enjoyed it. And I think if you're someone who does enjoy rom-coms, then maybe this would be for you. It certainly has a high level of cheese, but I don't always think that's a bad thing. Um, so this movie's called Can't Help Falling in Love With You. And it stars uh, the Filipino actress Carithen, uh, so <laughs> Catherine Bernardo and um, also an actor, Daniel Padilla. So I find it really interesting. I've watched quite a lot of kind of like, you know, romantic Filipino movies and I, I really, really enjoy them. I think they're just heaps of fun, you know, and usually quite romantic, um, quite silly sometimes too, but I think that's fine. I quite enjoy it. Um, but it's interesting because the more I watched, the more I started realizing, you know, recognizing actors and actresses, but what's very, very interest, um, interesting about their entertainment industry is you would constantly see the same actor and actress pairing um, in multiple different movies. Um, so basically you're just watching the same couple fall in love over and over and over in a whole bunch of different things, um, TV shows or movies. Um, and it just really reminds me of, you know, the super famous old school American Hollywood stars of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, which are, you know, I adore them. I, I love those old movies. Um, those two started acting together back in the 1930s and they did something like seven films, um, which are beautiful. I love them. They're some of my favorite pieces of cinema in you know, the whole universe. Um, but I just find it really, it's kind of a really interesting idea, you know, um, the, <laughs> to have a couple that just keep acting together over and over and I think as a bit of a romantic it's probably quite fun for me you know once I, I really get a favorite couple which I sort of have I really really like Catherine Bernardo and Daniel Padilla I think they're wonderful they're very very charming and it's really fun to watch them um, so I've seen a whole bunch of their movies now but can't help falling in love and it's super cheesy like it starts off with some very cheesy stuff and it's you know very silly um, but lovely and quite fun 
funny and just very, very cute if you like rom-coms. Um, and it has a, you know, completely bonkers ending with like, you know, oh, he's got an illness and he's probably going to die and, you know, but everything's fine in the end. So like, you know, it's all very shoehorned in, but it's, it's really good. So I would say if you like rom-coms, maybe you might enjoy that one. Um, the leads are just so charming. I think they just, they make it. So that's called Can't Help Falling In Love With You. Very cute, nice rom-com.